Tonight, I want to go to Isaiah 7.14, please. So Isaiah 7.14, I don't have a lot of time for an intro about this, the, the context, and usually I like to go into that, uh, but the topic tonight, Christmas topic, Isaiah 7.14, if you're in your Bibles, uh, turn there, let's go ahead and look at this together tonight. We're going to break just this one verse down. It deserves to be looked at uh, and broke down. So Isaiah 7, 14. <clears throat> Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Behold. Behold what? Important. A virgin shall conceive. It's pretty radical, isn't it, folks? Like right now we could stop. Like That's pretty radical, right? You ever known a virgin to conceive before? <clears throat> and bear a son, important, and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's an important verse, folks. Father, help us tonight as we just take a few minutes to look at this verse and to break it down and understand the extreme importance of prophecy. We thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen. <coughs> Excuse me. The virgin birth of the Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, is one of the major doctrines of the Bible. If you have ever taken classes or maybe a doctrines class, you would certainly be there looking at uh, this verse, this doctrine, and studying it. Um, it's so important, I can't even stress the importance of it, and you already know that. This was written before the Incarnation, wasn't it? It is prophecy, and now we look back on it and we're like, oh, we understand it, we get it. But if you would have just been afresh, given that papyrus, that scroll of Isaiah and read that, you'd have to think about that a little bit and study it a little bit, uh, quite a bit. I want to note a number of facts tonight about the prophecy of the virgin birth. As we look at this verse, as we break this down, I'm sure you've been here so many times, and maybe you have studied this out and you're ready for it completely. Let me just reinforce what you already know tonight. So, number one, <clears throat> the Lord himself was to give the sign. He says that in verse 14, therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. He who will give the sign, verse 14 says, is Adonai. Adon is a divine name of God. How many of you have studied the divine names of God before? Lots of them isn't there. <clears throat> it means Jehovah, our ruler, with authority and power. Isaiah wants to show the importance of the one who will give the sign. The sign is not for, if we would have had time tonight and read the bigger context, it's talking about Ahaz, the king. The sign is not for Ahaz alone, folks. Previously, Ahaz has been commanded, ask for thyself. If we had read that, ask, ask, king, ask for a sign. And he's like, I'm not, I'm not asking for a sign. Now, leaving Ahaz, Isaiah addresses actually the nation generally. The Lord will give you, not just King Ahaz, but the Lord will give you 
the nation of Israel a sign. <clears throat> he says, turning to the court and turning to all the nation and prophetically to actually all of mankind. I love prophecy. I, that's part of what, how the Lord saved me, uh, turning me to prophecy and reading and understanding. Oh, this was told way before it ever happened. And I, I don't have time again to go through all that. But if you love prophecy, the Lord not only t told Ahaz, <coughs> here's a sign, the court, the nation, but all of mankind. Number two, I want you to see the coming of the child would be a sign. His coming was to be very, very, very important to the people. This was just not another baby to be born. Sorry, I forgot to <coughs> put that up there for you. This was not just another baby to be born. So the people actually, they need to pay attention because God was sending the child to earth for the very purpose of being a gift, a sign for the people. Now, we get carried away with the gift stuff, and sometimes it can actually <coughs> distort our focus because we're so carried away with the gift giving that we forget that the greatest gift ever given was Jesus Christ. And the whole reason why we love to give gifts is because we love people, and we want to show them an expression of the greatest gift ever given to us, Jesus Christ. Um, this was not just a gift, it was a sign. If this sign or this gift was given to King Ahaz, the nation of Israel and all the people, then actually King Ahaz, they need to receive it. The people of Israel need to receive it. Uh, mankind... Humanity needs to receive it. It's a gift that Israel, Israel didn't always just receive God, did they? A lot of rebellion in Israel. A lot of rebellious people. A lot of rebellious kings. If you've ever did studies of good kings and bad kings, there's a whole lot of bad kings. Humanity hasn't. My mom's funeral, I think they're certainly was more lost people there than saved people. <clears throat> they love Christmas, like you and I do, but they've never actually received the free gift of salvation by grace and grace alone through Jesus Christ. So here, God has given us such a gift way before the incarnation. He's saying... I like to say it this way quickly. Theologically, clear at the very beginning in Genesis, the first gospel is, is given to us. And it's given to us like a, anybody ever shoot a BB gun? Yeah, it's given like a BB, coming out of a BB gun. Now, the whole rest of the historical books, and you get into the major and minor prophetical books, it, that BB of the gospel in Genesis and it can take hours to develop this, but I don't have that time. That little BB develops and develops into, finally you get the shotgun out, <coughs> and you shoot it, and you turn it on, the end of it scattered, and it's just a scattering, and that's what you get. And God is vamping up, if you could say, that little BB in Genesis to now, right here, here's the gospel. A baby is coming. 
A son is coming. He is a gift. He is a free gift. And that, folks, is what I want all of us tonight. Just a voice in this Christmas season here at Anchor. I want us to embrace the Christmas season because of what Jesus Christ has given to us. He's a gift. He's a sign. <clears throat> Number three. <clears throat> The word behold grabs the attention of the reader. This is just a grammatical reminder for you. The word behold here, it's used other places similar. Uh, Hagar in the wilderness. Genesis 16, 11, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Um, the mother of Samson. <coughs> oh, I do have water up here, I'm sorry. I'm thinking I'm going to ask somebody real politely to get me some. Any little weather change seems to get to me. <clears throat> Mother of Samson, Judges 13.3, Behold now, thou art barren, and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Behold is used in the scriptures to announce a birth of unusual importance and significance. So when we see the word behold here, we're like, oh man. Something important is going on. Behold, divine authority commands us to look where the prophets point. The prophet Isaiah is pointing. Here's something really, really important. Really important. The word serves to actually arrest the attention. If you're a Bible studier and you're reading and all of a sudden you, you come across, behold, you stop in your Bible study. Like, what is the Lord saying? Because something really important is coming on here. <coughs> There's an important announcement to be made. It means here, an event was to occur which demanded the attention of the unbelieving world. God would protect and save the nation and people if they would behold. The Lord Adon, our ruler, has given us a sign, a gift. Have you tonight beheld this gift? Do you have a personal living relationship with Jesus Christ. <clears throat> Has the sign grabbed your attention? Number four, I want you to notice. <clears throat> the virgin was to conceive and bear a son. The first question we have to ask ourselves is, why does Isaiah use the Old Testament Hebrew word, Alma, meaning virgin, instead of the Hebrew word for woman or young lady? He purposely is inspired by God to use Alma, virgin. Why? That's a question a good Bible study person would want to ask. Isaiah's purpose is to distinguish the virgin from other types of women, other women. <clears throat> As though he were to say, it is not an old woman. I'm not calling anybody an old woman in here tonight. My kids know if they ever call me an old man, they are in trouble they're going to find out this guy is not so old. I just kind of feel like that's disrespectful, but other people maybe not. 
he's, Isaiah is saying, this is not an old woman, or this is not a married woman. There's a lot of married women in here tonight, um, which I see in the vision. It's not a bride or a girl, necessarily. Isaiah says, this is uniquely a virgin. So the prophet focuses the attention upon the fact, and it is a fact, that she is a virgin. I don't care what contemporary writers want to say to try to isogetically put in what they want to put in, the liberals. God put this word here specifically to point out this is a very, very unique baby. In fact, this baby boy, this son, actually came from a virgin. Do you, have you ever known a virgin have a baby? Like you say, we've studied this before. We went over this before for years, many, many years. Every time I come to this verse, it's like I get a headache. It's like, it's impossible. Like, but it's not impossible with God. And actually that's how our Savior came, the Lord Jesus Christ. In the six usages of the Hebrew word ama, virgin points out these facts in Genesis 24:16 and the damsel was very fair to look upon a virgin neither had any man known her and she went down to the well and filled her pitcher and came up the whole context surrounding this verse clearly indicates that Rebecca is a virgin <clears throat> Exodus 2:8 and Pharaoh's daughter said to her Go, and the maid went and called the child's mother. Again, the whole context surrounding this verse implies that Miriam, Moses' sister, is a virgin. You have Psalm 68, 25. The singers went before, the players on instruments followed after. Among them were the damsels playing with timbrels. Did I pronounce that right? Okay. This verse refers to women with honorable, honorable reputations. They are women who are worthy or qualified to participate in religious services. And then you have Song of Solomon, chapter 1, verse 3. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore do the virgins love thee. I can't wait someday, maybe to teach, it would be Mormon-exclusive husband-wife Valentine's situation from Songs of Solomon. It is exclusive, but it is so fun to go over as married couples, the Song of Solomon. Um, this woman here is worthy to be desired by King Solomon. Her reputation is not questionable, folks. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 6, verse 8. There are three score queens and four score concubines and virgins without number these women stand over queens and concubines in moral purity so the fact that they are virgins is implied folks and then you have proverbs 30 verse 19 the way of an eagle in the air the way of a serpent upon a rock the way of a ship in the midst of the sea the way of a man with a maid <clears throat> 
this passage includes the expression, the way of a man with a maid. But then immediately there is a contrast with the adulteress in verse 20, if you kept reading the text, which places the maiden in a category of, you could say, unblemishedness compared to the adulteress. Um, in, <coughs> jump from the Old Testament to New Testament, the New Testament Greek, both Matthew 21, chapter 1, verse 23, and Luke chapter 1, verse 27, the word virgin is translated parthenos. Parthenos means an unmarried girl, okay? An unmarried girl or a young girl who had not had sexual relations, okay? So, adding all that up, add the results up from the scriptures, we conclude that Alma... Virgin in Hebrew, you still with me? This is not too technical. Virgin in Hebrew and Parthenos, virgin in Greek, they symbolize, like you don't have to be a brain scientist, a marriageable young lady of unblemished reputation. She is a virgin. I point all this out. Why do you be so technical tonight? Because the Lord was extremely technical in Isaiah 7, 14 concerning Jesus Christ and how he came into this world. One with this character that this word is talking about is to be classified only as a virgin. Of extreme importance is this fact tonight. If Jesus Christ, think about it, just simply stated, if Jesus Christ had not been born of a virgin, folks, he would have been a mere man who needed a savior as much as any other person if he wouldn't have been born from a virgin. <clears throat> and this brings us to our next point, number five. The Messiah or savior had to be born of a virgin completely apart from a human father. <clears throat> if he had not been, he simply would have been another man like myself, like Jim, Brother Jim tonight. Just would have been another man. As a mere man, he would have had needed a Savior as much as any other person. But since Jesus Christ, folks, was given birth by the Holy Spirit of God, the divine nature, through Mary, the human nature. He is theologically what we would call today the God-man. <coughs> the one and only God-man. <coughs> it had to be this way. The Holy Spirit Divine, Mary, human, coming together. The God-man. This is what Isaiah 7, 4, he's saying, Hey, King Ahaz, hey, court, hey, nation, hey, world. There is one coming for the greatest rescue mission this world has ever known. And he's coming. He's not here yet, but he's coming. And it's so radical because he is going to be born... From a virgin. Oh, yeah. Right, Isaiah. <laughs> a 
lock him up, <coughs> lower him in dung, torture Isaiah, torture the major prophets, right. Like, really? It's what Isaiah is trying to get across. This is what God is trying to get across, folks. His nature, Jesus Christ's nature is perfect. Because she was a virgin, and the Holy Spirit impregnated her. That's why he was perfect. The divine human <coughs> nature, sorry for the distraction. Christ's nature is totally different from the nature of any other person. Totally different. He is the perfect man. He is the sinless person. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we have not a high priest, which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Christ was perfect, divine and human. Never, ever has there been any other ever born that way. As a perfect man, he could pay the penalty for the sins of every man. Aren't you so glad for that tonight? I'm such a sinful, wretched man. I agree with the Apostle Paul when he says, oh, wretched man, who shall deliver me from this body of death? And then he says, I thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ in Romans. I'm such a wretched sinner. Saved by grace. Amazing grace. We all get it. Why? That hymn was written. We get it. <clears throat> Again, if Jesus Christ had been Mere man, he would have needed a Savior as much as we. Since he was born of a virgin by the Spirit of God, coming upon Mary, he is the God-man. Because he kept his divine nature and entered the world through a virgin, he was able to live a sinless life and to die for you and I. We will die physically someday, like my mom like many of you have lost close ones. Think of you, Deb, so recently. Unless the Lord raptures us. But we'll never die spiritually. It was reassuring to look at that corpse. I mean, they did a really good job. The, the uh, what do you call the funeral director? Coroner? Did, whatever. Did a really good job, but it didn't look like my mom. But I'm thinking, she's not there. And when you looked, they're not there, your loved one, that you're, it hurts so bad. Their spirit, if they accepted this son that Isaiah is talking about, born of a virgin, God in flesh, Christmas, incarnation, we're never going to experience a spiritual death, folks. He took that sin. He he died on the cross for you and I. So he is able to save us from our sins. And only Christ, he's able to make us acceptable to God. You and I, we're not acceptable to God. Christ is acceptable. And the moment you receive Christ as that free gift Isaiah is saying, you become acceptable because Christ is acceptable. Not because you're acceptable. Only because Christ is acceptable. 
<coughs> so, number six. <clears throat> the son was to be named Emmanuel. Emmanuel means, anybody know? God with us. Yes, God with us. As long as this particular son was known by people, they would be reminded that God was always present with them and caring for them. Listen, at times of crisis, God was present with his people. Do you remember some of these situations? Uh, he had been with Abraham and Isaac, right? Maybe bring back memories of the scriptures. You'll remember these passages. <coughs> he was with Joseph, and Joseph prospered, didn't he? He was also with Joshua, and Joshua's fame became spread abroad. When David suffered from the jealousy of Saul, God was with him. In establishing the Davidic dynasty, God declared that he had been with David, so David had received a great name. God also would be with Solomon. As crazy as his life got out of hand at the end, he would be with Solomon. Had Jeroboam acted like King David, God would have been with him also. In the birth of this child, God would be with his people. In one who should sit upon David's throne, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how radical this verse is. Way before Jesus was born. The Lord gave us a nugget, a gold nugget, a diamond, and a passage. Gave the king of Israel, gave a king, gave a court, a nation, gave the world a sign, a gift. This is who's coming. Psalm 23.4, I fear no evil for thou art with me. The child cannot be just any child, but only such a child as would serve as a sign. <clears throat> no mother would have the right to name her child Emmanuel in the mere hope that he would save his people. So the presence of God appears not in the deliverance from Syria or Israel, as the passage says, but in the birth of a child himself. When the child is born, God is seen to be present with his people. His birth is surrounded with mysterious and the supernatural. Isaiah is not announcing some contemporary birth of some great king like, I love Hezekiah. Believe me, ask my wife. I want to name one of my boys Hezekiah. I love that king. And she's like, no, it just wouldn't go over too Good today, contemporary day. Could you imagine Caleb, Hezekiah Stutz, or Daniel, Hezekiah Stutz? I love Hezekiah. <clears throat> but this birth, this, what Isaiah is saying, so much greater than a Hezekiah, or any unknown, obscure child, so much greater, the greatest child that has ever been born in this world, Isaiah is talking about here. The greatest child ever, and you and I, this week, we get to, not just this week, but the entire year. Christmas is not just this week. This is an entire year. We get to talk about this child. We get to talk about Jesus Christ. We talk about him 
at births and hospitals. We talk about him at funerals. We talk about him at reunions. We talk about him at church. We talk about him at work. We talk about him on vacation. We talk about him everywhere we go. This child, the most special child ever, folks. <clears throat> he had promised. God said, I will be their God in the Old Testament to Israel, those people. He never veered, even though all the rebellion and the forsaking of God, he never clear back. In the very beginning, he never veered from that promise. I will be their God. He never veered from that. He had promised, and now, not by might nor by power, but in the birth of a little child. <clears throat> For these reasons tonight, the prophecy must be interpreted only of that one to whom these conditions apply. Namely, Jesus Christ, the Son of the Virgin and the Mighty God. You cannot place some other child, some other name, other than Jesus Christ in this passage. This is, folks, <coughs> the Lord's sign to you and me. And, folks, I will say this. Christmas time, I love the eggnog. I love eggnog. Some of you don't, probably. I love eggnog. I love Christmas cookies. My sister, uh, she was, I probably ate a dozen Christmas cookies last week. I couldn't stop. I love Christmas cookies. I love Christmas. There's some things I don't love about it, and I won't waste your time about that. But it's just a great time to give people a Bible, to give people maybe a little book on the real reason for Christmas. A track about Christmas. Just a great time. People aren't so offended a lot of times when you talk to them during Christmas season about Jesus Christ. The birth of his baby, Savior. So folks, give people a sign this season. Give people the gift. It's free. I mean, you don't have to spend a hundred bucks. It's free. Jesus is free to give people. Speak openly. Speak naturally. Speak lovingly about Isaiah 7:14 as a sign. Many people need this sign. I don't know what kind of decisions you have to make, and maybe not even decisions tonight. Maybe it's just a great joy in your heart that you've received Jesus Christ, this babe. And as Brother Jim comes up, I'm going to pray, and we're going to sing, O come, all ye faithful. Just relish the season. Love Christmas, not because of all the materialism and the commercialism, just love it for this virgin woman that had this God, man, this divine human baby boy, and he came to save you from your sin, that you might walk this earth and be a herald and a testimony for Jesus Christ. That's something to get excited about, folks. So,